Welcome to The Gathering Pod, the audio version of my weekly gathering room broadcast. I'm Martha Beck. And today I'm going to talk about, uh, you know, I've been schlepping my, my new book around. You can see it back there because this is the place from which I do multiple interviews every day. Some with podcasters, some with TV news, some with I don't even know what. But um, today I thought, well, I'm going to be with my posse again, so I don't have to be careful. <laughs> and I can tell you guys some of the stuff that I put in the first draft of The Way of Integrity that was so freaky deaky, they made me take it out. See, the book is based around, well, first of all, if you know me, and I hope you do, I hope I know you too, you know that I have dreadful ADD. I have literally followed squirrels away from business meetings. I am not even kidding. And the one thing that has held my attention for the entire 400 years I have been alive is something, a little something I like to call the transformation of human consciousness. Oh, that. So yeah, I was born with this overwhelming feeling that I would be part of or help with some big shift in the way humans live on the the earth, and I didn't know what it was. And when I was a teenager, I started noticing a few people who seemed to be thinking like me. And then I started meeting more of them as I got into adult years. And now I'm just completely surrounded by people who share this. I'll never forget sitting down. The first time I went to the Deepak Chopra Center, I, they put me in his office before I went on stage. And I was just looking around and he, he had a letter that he was writing that he'd scrawled out on the desk. Couldn't help but notice it. And it said the transformation of consciousness. And I was like, oh my God, he knows it too. I had no idea he'd been writing about it for years. Anyway, that's the thing that obsesses me. And this book, The Way of Integrity, is simply, it's my way of saying, here's how I think you can go from the confusion of human culture as it is nowadays, especially in the West, and actual enlightenment, the way people have described it in wisdom traditions throughout time and in all periods of history, and which neurologists have now learned to measure as a different shape of brain that can be created by certain practices like meditation, uh, centering prayer, uh, and, and a few other techniques. There are a lot of them. Look for Andrew Newberg, How Enlightenment Changes Your Brain, from some good brain science about enlightenment. So I believe that the shift in human consciousness that needs to happen on a large scale is this shift from suffering into non-suffering, which is the shift from the unenlightened state into the enlightened state. And I think we exist right on the cusp of that. We're, we're able to go into it. It hasn't happened often in human history, but it's on, it's on the verge of being able to happen on a huge scale. So I started about... I don't know, about, about 10 years ago, I realized that um, I would just have to try to, I realized there were all kinds of magical things happening in my life and that the whole new age thing about the law of attraction had something real in it. I'll tell you a story about that. I read the book, The Secret by Rhonda Burns on a plane. And I thought, I agree with some of this and I really disagree with, with some, of the, some of it. <laughs> I don't think it's quite just that everything you think about becomes real. At the time, I didn't know where I had the breakdown, but actually what it was is that I've since learned that if you're in complete truth, if you're in alignment with your true self, 
at a, a body, heart, mind, and soul level, and then you hold something in your mind, it actually does happen very quickly. And But that's the part of the magic is you have to be in integrity, which is what my book's about. It's not nearly as fun as just think of it and it happens. It's get into complete integrity, which is like wholeness. It feels great. And you will then have magic happen. So um, after I started living this way, I started to live just whatever felt like my truth. And some of you know that I was living in Phoenix and I started to have a very strong impression on many mornings that I was waking up on this ranch in California. And it wasn't as if I thought about it in the future. I literally thought I was on this ranch in California to the point where I would open my eyes and think this has to be a dream because I am actually living on a ranch in California. And I saw details of it. It wasn't a dream. It wasn't a sleep state. It was before I opened my eyes. So I was in that hypnagogic state where you're half asleep. Your brain is kind of in a lull. Anyway, I explored the whole dang place. And after a while, it got so clear in my mind that I was able to just type things into, um, you know, real estate things online. And I knew that it had a covered round pen and I knew how, how many acres it was. And I knew that it bordered a national forest. And I knew, I knew all these things about it. And sure enough, one day when I typed in all those things, one ranch came up that fit the bill perfectly. And um, it was on sale. It was for sale. And I went and I bought it. So that it happened right after I got back from Londolozi in Africa, which is a hugely magic place. And I got home, I was all jet lagged and the opportunity to buy this ranch came up. So I said to my kids, <laughs> I managed to do two things this week. I went to the grocery store and bought some milk and I went to California and I bought a ranch. And those were, that was it. Other than that, I just lay flat. So we go to this ranch and, um, the whole place. There are certain spots in the world that I think are in, entangled into our personal destinies. Like there's this thinking in some circles that you have power spots that are matching your personality. Certainly, for example, the indigenous Australians believe very powerfully in sharing one's one's destiny with places and with, with paths and with the spot where you are born. It's supposed to, in some people's, they, they think that when you're born on a spot of land, it's yours forever and you will always be entangled with it, which is kind of like quantum entanglement, really. So, I mean, not even kind of like, but literally like, literally, not even like, just literally. So we get to the ranch and the first thing I noticed was that uh, something was wrong with my ears. And my kids came to visit me and some other guests came and they were like, oh, I got to get my sinuses checked or something. Everybody was having trouble because we were all hearing this sound and we thought it was in our heads and it went. It took like months for me to realize that this sound was not coming from inside my ears. I had my ears checked. I had my sinuses checked. It was actually my, my daughter came to the ranch and she could hear it and she searched the internet and she said, there are places on earth where about 2% of the people that visit can hear a ringing sound that comes from the ground itself. And it sounds like a Tibetan bull. I mean, imagine it much lower than that, but loud. I had to sleep with earplugs the whole six years that I lived in this place. And I realized that the place was full of vortices or box canyons where the air comes in and swirls and there were all these circular patterns. 
Um, and when I'd go out, I'd, I'd not only hear the earth, but it felt like it was communicating with me. And it freaked me out completely. And I would just, I was terrified. The, the whole first year I was there, I would get out of bed. There were no roads leading past it or through it. Just, we were the dead end and then a national forest. And I would get up, keep on my pajamas because I wasn't going to see a human being that day, pull on galoshes and a, a parka and go out and track animals all day and listen to what nature was telling me. And uh, I would also sit and meditate. I've told you this many times. Go outside, cover yourself with bird seed, wait for the chipmunks and the birds and the squirrels. It's awesome. They come and sit on you. And one day while I was sitting there, um, I may have told you all these stories, but I'm just going to clump them all together. They all were in the book the first time and then they made me take them out. So I used to sit with my back against this sliding glass door. And one day I sat down to meditate, put the bird seed on, and it was like, wah, 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 not today, go inside. And I was like, all right, because this is how I acted, you guys. I was like, I don't know if it's real or not, but all right, you know, it can't hurt. So I moved inside the glass instead of being on the outside of the glass. And halfway through my meditation, the biggest rattlesnake I have ever seen came gliding right around the corner. It would have been this close to me if I'd been outside. I, I mean, the human hand moves much faster than a rattlesnake can strike, but I would not have been, get out, been able to get out of the way before I was bitten because I would have caused a, quite a commotion and the snake would have been scared and probably bitten me. But I watched it and it went through by and it went like into this um, birdhouse that was sitting there and its huge head would go in and disappear and then it would come back out. I later made it into my novel, Diana herself. I, I named it Cloyd and it just lived there for a while and I meditated inside until it was, um, I heard a very strange noise and it went like this. Is that? And I went out and there was a circle of female wild turkeys and they were stomping and they were standing in a circle facing in and making this weird call. It just made the hair stand up on the back of my neck. And in the middle was Cloyd going, what, what, what me? Did I, what did I do? And they were like, you're a snake. I later read that female wild turkeys kill snakes because they eat baby turkeys and turkey eggs. So sadly, 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 but quickly, I hope painlessly, Cloyd was killed by a pack of female wild turkeys. <sighs> so then I started meditating outside again. You may have heard me talk about how one day I was sitting there and I heard something inside this time and it said, your name is stillness. And then it was like a hand grabbed my consciousness and pulled it down into this deep, 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 infinitely deep stillness that was like quenching water on a hot, thirsty day. It was exquisite. And I just stayed there for an hour or so. And the next day I sat down, your name is stillness. It would take me right in. Well, one day I was meditating away. Stillness, stillness, my name is stillness. And I heard somebody marching and I opened my eyes and there was a flock of wild turkeys going by, mixed gender this time. And um, I was like, okay, well, nice to see you guys. But I was so obsessed with the stillness. I was like, I'm going back in. So I went back in for, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes. I opened my eyes, you guys. The entire flock of turkeys were standing 
like in statue positions. They were completely frozen in whatever position. I mean, they, they were in these, they were just, and I looked at them and I thought, that is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. And I started to count them. One, two, three. There were 17. The moment I started counting, they all went, ah, and started moving again. That's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. So I was like, that was super weird. But nothing comes ahead of meditation. So I'm going in again. Stillness. Whoop. So I went down into the stillness. I was there for another maybe half an hour. I opened my eyes. And all 17 turkeys were still in front of me. And they had lain down on the ground with their necks outstretched. They were just lying there. Now, I've seen them roost. They roost on their perches, right? Their, their little toes lock in. They crouch down. They perch. That's how they sleep. These turkeys were lying flat out like dead things. And they weren't moving at all. And I was like... Okay, this is really strange. The ground is going, wow, wow, wow. There are snakes going, hello. The turkeys are lying down. I've read since, somebody told me that female turkeys will sometimes lie down like that if they want a male to mate with them. So it could be that this entire flock of wild turkeys was deeply sexually attracted to me, which isn't that, wouldn't be that odd because I so resemble a turkey myself. Anyway, um... <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting flack from my staff here. All right, so I'm going to tell you uh, just a couple more things. There was, we built a labyrinth. My, I have a wonderful uh, co-worker, Chris Brandt, who is a life coach and an instructor on my team and a leadership person and a horticultural architect. And she makes and uses labyrinths, which are they're like physical aids to meditation. You walk them. They're not a maze. They're meant to put your brain into this state of alpha, synchronous alpha that is like meditation. So Chris came and um, made this labyrinth on my property. And somebody gave me, for as a birthday present, a session with a psychic. So I called the psychic and he said, and I didn't tell him anything. And he said, you recently purchased some land. And I was like, he could look in Zillow and find that out. I was like, mm-hmm. He said, it wants a labyrinth. And I said, oh, there's someone building a labyrinth on it right now. And he was like, what? Really? I thought that was a metaphor. I'm like, no, it's really happening. So Chris mapped out the labyrinth with, with spray paint. And I went and gathered rocks from all around, huge rocks, rocks like I could barely lift them really barely lift them. And I placed most of the rocks myself to create the pathway of the labyrinth. Well, last week when I was um, marketing my book, I'm on an interview and in the chat room, someone comes up and says, um, I really love this Martha's book, Diana herself. Oh, I forgot. When people were walking the labyrinth on two occasions, they looked up at a tree. There was this long branch that went like over the labyrinth. And two people who didn't know each other at different times came back and said they had seen a barefoot, brown-skinned woman sitting on the branch of this tree. And I was like, okay then. Ultimately, so many magical things happened to me there that I wrote a novel called Diana Herself. And I put in all the magical things that had happened to me and I let this brown-skinned woman be the heroine. And um, I'm not going to tell you any more about that because it would be a spoiler. But this week, I'm doing this interview and somebody says, the funniest thing happened. I, this all came up in the chat. I don't even know who it was. And they said, I, was go I went to a seminar this last week at a ranch in California. 
And we were, it had a labyrinth and we were in the labyrinth and someone else in the group said, what's a good book to read? And I said, I really liked Martha Beck's novel, Diana Herself. And someone else in the group said, this is Martha Beck's ranch or was, and this is the tree where Diana herself popped into visual. And the woman who brought up the novel didn't know she was in that spot when she was talking about the book. She didn't know there was any connection at all. So this is the kind of thing that happens when you set out to, drumroll, tell the damn truth, to feel what you feel, to know what you know, to say what you really mean, and to do what you really feel is true in your heart. It's the way of integrity. And it my book follows Dante through the dark wood of error, the inferno, purgatory, where he learns to walk his talk, and then the paradiso, where he got in his own life after he brought himself into harmony with his own truth. And at that point, you guys, he says, don't even keep reading. You will not get this. You will not understand the stuff I'm going to say. You will not believe. And then he goes into a description of what it's like when the brain becomes enlightened. He goes through the transformation of human consciousness. He did, you guys. I just, oh my gosh. And there's a whole nother magical thing that started happening as I wrote the book. I mean, at the end, good Lord, when I was engaging with that part of Dante every day, like reading multiple translations and commentaries, I was, I, I can't even, I can't even. All the crazy psychedelic wild things that, that Dante talked about started happening to me. I mean, like in real life. And I put some of those in the, <laughs> I put some of those in the book too. And my editors were just like, Marty, you're just too weird. <laughs> and they, they had me rewrite it. And I, I am very glad they did. It's much better the way they advised me to write it. But um, I was thinking today about, um, Somebody said, somebody called me who was reading the book and she was someone that is so magical. She's wonderful. She's an anthropologist. She's um, lived with all these ancient civilizations and knows all these wild shamans and so on. And she said something like the magic is real. And what came into my head was, yeah, but we don't need the magic because we have reality. You guys, reality is so much cooler than we've ever been allowed to think it is. This whole, my whole book is about going away from the cultural model of what is real and going to your own experience. And if you start to do that, if you go deeply into what you think is true, this kind of thing will simply happen to you. It will be commonplace. And you'll say the most, the simplest, and I got to tell you, during COVID, it really made me weird because, because you know, you're not talking to anybody. You just start to think everybody has this. And, um, oh gosh, there's so many other great stories I could tell, but they involve other people. And I don't want to, um, I don't want to breach any confidentiality, but let me just say that the magic has not stopped, but we don't need the magic. We have reality. Hello, the lovely peoples. This is Marty, Martha, inviting you to a free masterclass that I have made called Five Paths to Your Purpose. Probably the most common question I get from people is, how do I find my purpose? Why don't I feel that I'm on purpose? Well, it turns out there are certain things you have to do to find your purpose, and I broke them down into five. 
and I made a little masterclass about it. So if you'd like to see it, just go to marthabeck.com slash purpose and you will be able to watch it without any charge at all. So hi, Jessica. I saw your face on our on the Omega thing yesterday. It's so good to see you. Um, she said, I just prayed my internet back on so that I could be with all of you. No joke. I've totally had that happen. I actually took a website. Uh, I learned to build websites from a computer programmer back when it was still a much newer deal. And we would go through the same exact keystrokes and he would get a result and mine would go all weird. And finally he would say, okay, I'll watch you. I put them all in, press enter, go all weird. And finally he said to me, listen, we don't talk about this in computer science, but we know it. If you're too emotional around your computer, things get messed up. So he said, when you press enter, if you're running a program, you have to run to the other side of the room as fast as you can. You are an electronic machine made of meat that is emanating, communicating through the ether, just like any kind of electricity. So I had to do that for, for weeks and sometimes I still do have to just hit enter on the computer and run to the other side of the room um, so the magic won't get too thick. Hi, Christina Tsang, how you doing? Transformation, oh, you're such a sweet and wonderful person. She says, do you still feel COVID-19 as an integral part of our transformation? Our world had literally fallen apart because of the virus. Yes, because the first act of creation is necessarily the disruption of the existing order. Um, I, I was watching a, a show last night with my family, The Good Fight about lawyers, and there's a woman who has, she hated, on the show, her character did not like the Trump administration. But she has a dream where Hillary Clinton won the presidency, and she's really happy at first, but then all these things didn't happen. For example, the Me Too movement didn't rise up as much The um, in this fantasy world where she was living. Um, the Black Lives Matter thing didn't arise as much. The show didn't go into COVID because they had no idea it was coming. But it could be that things would have been run differently. We just don't know. What I'm saying is every single thing that's happened, whether it looks disruptive or whether it looks like, oh, finally, the cavalry's coming over the hill, it all works for the transformation. There is a huge self, capital S, that has decided to shift human consciousness at this point. And mark my words, everything that captures your attention for good or for ill, it's probably about your awakening. If you get really scared by everything, write down your worst fear. This is the end of the world. Turn it around to the opposite. This is the beginning of the world. The, the opposite of your worst fear is your next um, idea to embrace on the path to your own awakening. And they can see awakening happening. It is a real neurological condition that we can create. So yeah, everything, it had to fall apart. Certain things had to fall apart. And I'm, I grieve with you for so many things um, that were lost. But the, the path of this thing is just, it's its own, it's its own, reality is its own judge. We don't know. We just follow the, oh, Joan says, I want to hear the weird Dante stuff. Did I tell you guys about this last week? I think I told you guys about this, but I'll say it again. I started dreaming about Dante. And um, there was one day when I was, I was meditating 
And I'd been reading the Paradiso over and over because it is really confusing. I mean, the commentators are just like, we don't even know what's happening. The plot falls apart. Everything's weird. He describes incredibly accurately um, ideas that we now know from the most austere and advanced versions of quantum physics. He, I mean, like he was in the know. But um, I started dreaming about him almost every night. There would be this Italian man talking to me. And the very last verse, the last three lines of the Divine Comedy, he finally gets to the source of all that is. So it's this incredible light that's emanating like a flower from the center of the universe. And he, he says, there's a place where he says, I think I saw the universal shape and I could not turn away. I was meditating one morning after I read that. Have you ever had an optical illusion like a ground reverse thing where something is either two faces or it's a vase and you it goes back and forth and it pops as one thing and then it pops as another. I was sitting there looking at reality with my eyes sort of half open. <sighs> so hard to describe. Suddenly reality was the, the space holding the objects around me and the objects were absolutely not real. And it wasn't something like a, like a passing delusion or something. I was like, holy, and I just stared at it. I was, it was, it, it was like I was suddenly just hovering over the Grand Canyon. It was this vast emptiness and everything was appearing in it as now, 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 but it wasn't, I could see that it was projected onto this canvas of the universe of space by consciousness. And it wasn't, it, you, you cannot unsee that once you've seen it. And I almost fell out, I was sitting on a chair, I almost fell out of the chair because <laughs> it was not real anymore. So that day I was writing down the last chapter of my book and I got to the last three, three lines where Dante stops writing in the past tense. It's the past tense all the way through. And then in the, the last canto, he says, and so I become, he, he switches to present tense, I become the love that moves the sun and the other stars. And you guys, as I wrote this down, I saw this man from my dreams and he was in profile. He's often, when they draw pictures of him, there's a famous one that's in profile and that's what you often see. And that came into my mind and then he turned and he was looking straight at me. And I thought, oh my God, he's in 1320, but he can see me. He knows I'm looking at him. And it was just like, <laughs> and um, it was breathtaking. And he was like, tell, yeah, you, you guys have to do this. You have to go through this. Like in my time, I changed what I could, but you guys have to do this because the species is now crowding the globe. Okay, so this is my little weird thing about Dante. Well, I have a few, but that's, just, that's enough. Uh, Coach Dan Dan says, is it possible to be too weird? Not in the gathering room. Everywhere, where else? Be careful. <laughs> Laurie says, what will we do with all our power? Oh my God, you guys, we will create things of such beauty and delight. When you get to that full integrity and your, li your life is aligned, there's so much less suffering and I'm not there, but I've come so much closer than I ever used to be. And what's happening is this massive, like 
creativity. I want to make stuff. I want to make events. I want to make relationships. And it it does feel like as soon as I envision it, things show up to help me make the thing I want, whatever it is. It's all the energy of creation freed from suffering and, and able to work in matter. You know, consciousness is playing in matter and it wants to move matter. And it does it in us. And when all the suffering's gone and all the lies are gone and just reality streams through, boom, it creates. Oh my gosh. One of the things I was going to tell you at the ranch was uh, I went to the Byron Katie school where I spent nine days cleaning every little trace of lie that I could find out of my mind. And I went out walking and here I was, I've had fibromyalgia since I was 18. I've always had to be very careful with my body. I took long walks, but I hadn't done anything strenuous. I was so full of energy one day that I went outside. It started first at Katie's school. I went outside for a little walk and my body took off running faster than I've ever run in my life. I mean, I was cornering on a curve like an Olympic sprinter and I was watching it and I wasn't out of breath. I'm not even sure my heart rate went up. I was just like, what the almighty is happening? And it would go on, I would go outside and my body would start to just run and not get tired and not get hurt. All this energy flowing through me. There's an incident where it happened long before that that's in the book. Anyway, um, Chris says, any advice for the hero who makes it back from the hero's journey but isn't believed by others? Come to the gathering room. We believe everything. <laughs> we believe a lot of things. We, do, we believe it if it's reality. And reality is the part that most of the folks won't let you believe. We don't even care. It's so much fun. Why bother? So Stephanie finally says, please speak more about Imagini, Imagini, Imagini. This is the something that Dante does in the Paradiso. He says, and I think he was prefiguring the whole law of attraction thing. He says, you can't imagine the exquisiteness of the life that wants to embrace you, but try this. Imagine the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. And he, he says, the stars, you know, with no light pollution. Then he says, imagine it more beautiful. And then he says, imagine it more beautiful. And he says it three times, imagine, imagine, imagine. And then he says, okay, now hold that steadfast like a rock and it will become your reality. And holy smokes, you guys, it does. I want to, I want to, I got to show you something that happened. Imagini, imagini, imagini. We didn't, we couldn't make any new friends outside the house during um, COVID times. So we made a new friend inside the house with, with a little in vitro fertilization and a lot of, I won't say magic, I'll say reality. And Ro had to have the baby. Ha ha, I didn't even have to do it. <laughs> so this is Lila and she loves you and she has a magical pixie patch on the back of her head. Mwah! Imagini, imagini, imagini. You guys hold it steadfast like a rock and I'll see you in reality, which is way wilder than we ever thought. Mwah, 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 mwah. Bye for now. It's a bewildering moment to be alive. That's why Martha Beck, me, and Rowan Mangan, me, created Bewildered, the wildly successful podcast for people trying to figure it out. 
Most of us are trying to fit society's expectations about how we should live, which is stressful and confusing. On Bewildered, we look at topics like perfectionism, what it means to have enough, anxiety, and creativity to see where the culture may be pushing us all away from the lives that truly fulfill us. If you're bewildered, if you want to think and you love to laugh, come join us. For almost 30 years, I've been teaching people to do something that I call reading your internal compasses. I believe we are all born with direction-finding mechanisms that are inherent in us and will help us find our best destiny. Uh, A few years ago, though, I realized that a lot of people were getting very, very anxious. And this is true. Anxiety is going nuts all over the planet. So I spent five years researching and writing a book about how to read your compasses and lower the anxiety that's getting between you and your right life. And I'm very excited about the book. It's coming out in 2025. But I would love to teach you about it before the book comes out. So this summer, I'm doing a course called The Wayfinder's Compass, Moving Beyond Anxiety. And you can check it out by going to marthabeck.com slash compass. And we will have a fabulous time putting you on course for your North Star.